The following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light across in our city and world through the transformed lives of its people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. A reading from the Word of the Lord, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, everybody doing good today? Feeling good? I, I know I know it's shaky, it's bumpy this week. Uh, so if you're not feeling good, again, like uh, Pastor Corey mentioned, that's okay. That's okay. We're 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 here we're here to love on one another and here to char- charge and stir one another towards good works and encourage one another for the week ahead. Um, so today I want to talk a little bit about our last value. This is actually the the last message um, in our series, Lights On. We've been working through this now for approximately seven weeks. We took one week off for Mother's Day, but we've been working through this for seven weeks, and we are at our final value in this church, and that is the value of dedicated discipleship, the value of dedicated discipleship. There is obviously no... um, no value that we have covered that is more foundational to the Christian life than the value of dedicated discipleship. This is why we exist in this world to make disciples, to, to, to disciple the nations as, as, the, as the literal translation of that scripture, Matthew 28, is, is phrased. It's, it's actually that go and disciple the nations. Go and disciple the nations. That's what we've been called to do, to go and disciple the nations. So the question we have to ask before we go any further is what exactly, when we say, when we say dedicated discipleship, what exactly are we saying? What does it mean? And for us at City Light, it simply means that we're living every day of our lives seeking to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Every single day of our lives, we're seeking to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're seeking to disciple the nations, to teach and to train and equip the nations, to make learners and followers of Jesus every single day of our lives. And when you read the New, Te- when you read the New Testament, you can understand why the, the, the everyday factor is, is what it is. Because the New Testament, pretty much the entirety of it, is about making disciples. The entirety of the New Testament is about making disciples. The, to- the, 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 the totality of the text or the totality of the New Testament comes down to Matthew 28. As a matter of fact, if you remember the great commandment, which is love your God and love your neighbor, if you remember the great commandment and you remember the great commission, which is to go and disciple the nations, then you basically are in possession of the very essence of all of the Christian faith. Love God love neighbor, or love God, love people, and share God with all people. That's it. 
Love God, love people, share God with all people. That's it. If you, if you get that and if you, if you focus in on that and harness in on that and pursue that and go after that, then I guarantee you, you will be doing well in the end when the Lord says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things coming out, make you rule. You will be doing well if you focus your energy and your time and your efforts on those two things, loving God, loving neighbor, and sharing God with neighbor. Does that make sense? So let's talk a little bit about a few things. As we walk through this text, there's a couple of things that comes out that I would like to kind of fixate on this morning, a couple of points, if you will. One is the fuel of discipleship, all right? The fuel of discipleship or the fuel of dedicated discipleship. And then the second point is the command of discipleship. And then lastly, we'll talk a little bit about the promise of discipleship. The fuel, the command, the promise. Fuel, command, and promise. Discipleship, let's start with the fuel, verse 16, or verse 18, rather. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Discipleship is without purpose and is without incentive without this statement. All authority on heaven or in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus in this statement lays down the why for discipleship. Why do we dedicate our lives to telling people about Jesus? Why do we dedicate our lives to training people to follow Jesus? Because all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth speaks of Jesus' worth. All authority means that all honor is due him. All worship is due to him. Jesus' authority over all is the why behind our discipleship because it speaks of his worth. He was given authority to rule. And, and, and well, actually, let's, let's look at Daniel, or actually, I'll just read Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, it says, He was given authority to rule and glory and the kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not, not pass away. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This is actually a text that is spoken centuries before Christ, but it's speaking of Christ. That he was given authority to rule and glory in the kingdom, and thus every people, nation, and language should serve him. So you see that? The authority, and because of the authority, what? The discipleship. Does that make sense? We serve him because he, his authority over everything establishes him as the most worthy candidate of worship. His, and, and not only does, does it establish him as the most worthy candidate of worship, but guess what? His worth exceeds your opinion of him. Meaning that you can decide that he does not mean that, that he doesn't mean Lord to you or that you won't serve him as Lord, that will have no bearing on his worth, though. Does that make sense? You know, this is not a popularity contest. In other words, worth is, worth is dictated based on the masses. If the masses say that you're a good guy or if the masses say we like you, then okay, you're worthy, you're worthy of something in our book. This is not Jesus. Jesus doesn't need public opinion in order to be worthy. Jesus doesn't need public opinion in order to be Lord. This is not a democracy or election. He is Lord regardless of your opinion of him. Does that make sense? He is worthy regardless of your opinion of him. 
Matter of fact, we saw and heard about his authority just last week when we were talking about, when we were speaking from Philippians chapter 2 and talking about the ideal of emptying empowerment. Verse 4 says, or verse 5 rather says, have this mind among yourselves, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, listen, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, regardless of opinions, right? In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess regardless of opinions, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see the authority. The authority comes regardless. He is worthy regardless. But what else does this authority speak to us besides worth? Well, this authority speaks to us confidence, confidence for us. Not only can we go to the world assured that we are pointing them in the right direction when we point them to Jesus, but we also can go resting assured that because he has all authority in heaven and on earth, no one will ever stop his mission from being fulfilled. Does that make sense? So authority gives us confidence that we can go because he's in charge. He rules and reigns over everything. There's nothing stopping or thwarting the mission of God. It will be accomplished. Whether we're here to see it or not, it will be accomplished. So we can just go out and live in that, live in that confidence. One of the second century early church fathers, um, Tortillian of Carthage, Africa. And yes, you heard that right, Africa. For, for, you know, I mean, people that like to say, hey, you know, Africa, because you know, I, obviously I get in a lot of goofy discussions, right? And some of the young cats, some of the young cats say, man, I don't even see how you accept this Christianity thing. It's totally a white man's religion. We didn't even, we didn't even know about Jesus Christ until we got over here and we were brought over here in slave ships and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, dude, you know the church fathers were from Africa? And they're like blowed away immediately like, really? It's like, yes, it's been in Africa like like forever, like ever since Christianity's been in existence has been in Africa. And then they, then they kind of get quiet and we, the conversation kind of ta- tapers off into cheeseburgers or something like that. But nevertheless, Tortillion, one of the early church fathers, says that or said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs, those that give their lives, those that sacrifice their lives, those that lay their lives down for the faith. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, persecution will not eradicate the faith, but persecution can only expand the faith. Does that make sense? It can't stop it. And so, God, because he has all authority, because he rules and reigns over everything, no matter what you try to do to stop his plan, you will only serve in advancing his plan. Does that make sense? Make sense? We're good? Okay, good. So as we go in that knowledge that all belongs to God, and we go in that certain confidence that literally nothing can stop this mission from having its purposes fulfilled, 
we can actually go and do what we're supposed to do, which is to fulfill the command of discipleship, which is our next point. So verse, eight, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's a couple of things that, that are a part of this text or that are a part of this particular phrase that we need to think about, right? One thing out of the gate is that it's required. It's required. It's a command. You know, we, we're calling it the command of discipleship. We're not, we're not calling it the option, right, of discipleship. Because I have all authority in heaven and on earth, go. And this is not up for debate. Go. Because I got authority over you too, so go, right? The world must hear about me, and the world must hear about me from you. So go and tell. Oftentimes we treat Jesus' words here like they're opinion, but these aren't opinions. These aren't options. These aren't things that you can pick up and put down. This is a requirement of the Christian life to go and to disciple the nations. But it's actually not just a requirement, but it's an active requirement, right? Go, Jesus commands us. Teach. Go, baptize. The command is not wait and see. Does that make sense? The command is go and tell. Go and share. It's not a passive commandment. It's a very, very active commandment. It's an engaging commandment. So in other words, this is not a pew-warming opinion or option. This is a heart-on-fire command. This is not a cheap and comfortable option. We can just play, you know, stand to the back and play in the, and just hang out in the cheap seats and watch everybody else go. And you say, well, you know, I don't really like talking that much, so, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily apply to me. No, no, no. This is a very costly command. This is a very sacrificial command. This is a command that will put you out there a little bit sometimes. Possibly even suffer a little bit of an, uh, 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 a little bit of ridicule, a little bit of finger pointing, like, "Hey, ha ha, look at that guy." That's okay. Why? Because all authority goes where? Up here. All authority belongs here. So we can suffer the ridicule. We can suffer the 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 the, the stabbing or the pushback. We can we can suffer the persecution. Why? Because all authority is here. We know it's going to be all right. Does that make sense? In his, in, in his book, Born to Reproduce, Dawson Trotman reflects on the weight of the Great Commission in these terms. He says this, quote, The gospel spread to the known world during the first century without radio, television, or the printing press because the writings of the apostles produced men who were reproducing. Did you hear that? Produced men who were reproducing. But today we have a lot of pew sitters. People think that if they are faithful in church attendance, put good sides, gifts into the offering plate, and get people to come, they have done their part. If I were a minister of a church and had deacons or elders to pass the plate and choir members to sing, I would say, thank God for your help. We need you. Praise the Lord for these extra things that you do. But I would keep pressing home the big job. Be fruitful and multiply. All these other things are incidental to the supreme task of winning men and women to Jesus Christ and then helping 
them to go on. All the other things that we do are smaller jobs. You understand that? They're smaller jobs that are building up towards the biggest job of discipling the nations. Does that make sense? So the Great Commission to go and the Great Commission to disciple the nations is an active command, not a passive option. But why should it really matter to you that it's an active command? Well, we know that Jesus has all authority, but not just that's not the only reason it should matter to you. Like the woman at the well who met Jesus, right, and was forever changed and had to go and tell the world, tell the world around her about him. As we draw near to Jesus, we shouldn't have to be commanded. That's why it should matter. As you reflect on your own sin, right? You reflect on your own shortcomings. You reflect on your own, uh, your, your own waddling in the mud and all the things that Christ has cleansed you of and continues to cleanse you of by his righteousness. All the things that, that, though, that though we are sinful, right, that we can stand before a holy God and that we can pray to that holy God daily and he receives our prayers, not based on the merit of our own lives, but based on the merit of his son, right? His son poured himself out, took upon, took upon our sin Upon his own shoulders, the, the burden and the, and the bearing of our sin became his own burden. That's why it matters. How do, you, how, do you, how do you have this and then withhold it from someone else in need? Does that make sense? So the command shouldn't even necessarily be a command for us, right? We should desire to do this. I don't want to hold this from anybody. The more I reflect on what Jesus has done for me, the easier it is for me to share who he is with others. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. I'm quoting a missionary here. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. The nearer we get to him, the more we reflect on our own sin. The nearer we get to him, the more we reflect on his holiness. The nearer we get to him, the more we reflect on his love towards us and that he would erase our sin burdens and take them upon himself. The nearer we get to him. So the nearer we get to him, the easier it becomes to share him. Does that make sense? So it's required, it's active, but notice that it's also all-inclusive. This is a command that is all-inclusive. It says, again, the command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. Go and disciple all the nations. It's an all-inclusive command, which is a change from, from normal, rabbi te- normal rabbi slash teacher and student relationships, by the way. Normally, rabbi, teacher, and student relationships are very exclusive, or very inclusive, rather. No, exclusive Exclusive is right. I'm trying to work through my English. Exclusive. So in other words, there's only a certain amount of people that get that rabbi and student relationship. And most of the time, when you go back and look at Jewish culture, it was those that were privileged. Those that had a little money in their pocket. Those that were a little smarter than others. 
And probably 99% of the time, it's going to be a Jewish man. And so women were completely cut out of a rabbi-teacher or rabbi-student relationship. And poor people were completely cut out. And not-so-smart people were completely cut out of these relationships. But Christ does something entirely different as the great and supreme and ultimate teacher. He opens it up to everyone. He says, all nations can come and be my disciples. All nations can come and be and learn from me. All nations can come and be taught of me. Does that make sense? Now notice something. That's really crazy when you think about it because here are some, you know, peon, peon teachers down here, Jewish rabbis. No, no hate on Jewish rabbis. I'm talking about any person. They're down here compared to the king of the universe, right? And the Jewish rabbis, they have their standards that they say, hey, no, Matt, you can't come in, right? Not smart enough or not bright enough or not, you know, whatever. And here, Jesus says, the king of the universe, who is really the, the, really the one, if there was some exclusivity there, he would be the one to have it because he's the one that's worthy of it. And he opens the gates and says, anybody can come that wants to come. How awesome is that? That anybody can come to the king of the universe and can say, I want to follow you. But it's also a significant shift from what Jesus was doing before he resurrected. Matthew 10, when you look at Matthew 10, Jesus tells the 12 disciples, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Wasn't time yet. So he says, hey, don't go there yet. Spend your time in Israel. Spend the bulk of your time, the majority of your time, sharing the gospel with Israel. And then even in Matthew 15, he answers himself, talking to a Gentile woman and says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so most of the time, Jesus' life on earth was spent with Israel. But as he gets ready to leave, he says what? Hey, go to everyone. Go to every single nation and teach them about me. Make disciples. Baptize. Now, here's, here's something that's interesting about that. When you say every single nation, go, you're not just talking about proximi proximity and place, okay? But you're talking about privilege and people. This is what I mean. You're not just simply talking about locations when you say go to all the nations, but you're also talking about who gets it. So it's not just every place, but it's every people. Why is that important? Well, it's important because of this. If your heart is set on the nations, right, going to the nations to give the gospel to Jesus Christ, but you won't cross the street to give the gospel to the others, and you know what I mean when I say the others, people that don't look like you, people that don't share the same class as you, people that don't share the same educational background as you or the same income as you. If you're willing to go across the nations, but you're not willing to cross the block, then the motivation for mission has to be challenged and questioned. Jesus' mandate, Jesus', Jesus command is not simply a go to a place, go to every place. Jesus' command and mandate is to go to every people. Every person is now given the privilege to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to be a missionary to be a missionary. Are you tracking? You don't, have to, you, don't have to raise, you don't have to raise funds to go across the street. Does that make sense? You don't need a passport 
to go to that neighborhood down the road, to open your mouth to a coworker, to share the gospel with a waitress. It's for all places, but it's also for all people. Verse 19, again, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The gospel or this command is evangelistic. Evangelistic. So discipleship, sometimes people say, well, is it evangelistic or is it training? You know, am I, when, when, when I'm discipling, does that mean that I'm training people? Or when I'm discipling, does it mean I'm sharing the gospel with people and trying to get people saved? And the answer is yes. Yes. It's evangelistic, baptism, right? Go and baptize. Go and disciple the nations, baptizing them. Baptize, baptize or baptism is a mark of what? Conversion, salvation, people getting saved, okay? And so he says, go and baptize. In other words, go and make converts. Go and share the gospel. Go and witness. Go and evangelize. And see people, want to the, see people want to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now notice, because we're Baptists, I can, I can spend a little moment, take a little commercial side break, and notice that there's an order to this, right? It says, go, disciple the nations, baptizing them, right? So in other words, it's like conversion, and then after conversion, baptism. Because baptism is a reflection and a mark of conversion. Not just simply a ceremony that we go through, but it's a, it's a reflection. It's a sign of conversion. That's my, that's my Baptist uh, commercial break. But besides that, it's not just simply conversion that he speaks of, but he says, baptize them and teach them. So discipleship is both. Does that make sense? It's converting, but then it's walking with them. As they convert. Now notice what it does. Now notice what it says. Teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now I gotta ask a few questions here. Are you just are you just teaching them facts? Or are you teaching them to obey the facts? Which one is it? Look at the text. Teaching them to what? Teaching them to what? Y'all talk back to me. It's okay. Teaching them to what? Observe, obey, follow all that I have commanded you. See, discipleship is not simply knowledge transfer. Does that make sense? It's not just sitting around and having a bunch of deep philosophical discussions where we're just exchanging knowledge and passing data across the table. Discipleship is walking with people. Does that make sense? Discipleship is challenging people. Discipleship is holding people accountable. Discipleship is praying with people when they're in broken moments in their lives. Discipleship is showing people what it means to be a father, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a decent coworker or a decent worker on the job. Discipleship is living your life on display for others to see and to catch what it means to walk with Jesus. Not j- Discipleship is not just, here's a book, all right, talk to me later. Teaching them to observe. You can't teach anybody to observe 
when the only thing you're doing is passing information. You got to walk with people to teach them to observe. You got to walk with people to teach them to obey. But, but, but notice that he says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Now, let's just pause for a second and ask a real honest question. Can we teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded us during a Sunday morning service? Let's get together one hour for once a week, and we're going to teach people to obey everything that Jesus has said during that time. If you are counting on that being your methodology for discipleship, you will leave this world with shallow disciples. Discipleship is more than just simply a Sunday morning service. As a matter of fact, let's ask an honest question. How many times do we see Jesus in the temple as we read about Jesus discipling the disciples versus how many times we just see Jesus walking out life with them? Is Sunday morning a part of it? Absolutely. Is Sunday morning a cornerstone of it? No doubt about it. Is Sunday morning essential? Absolutely. We are supposed to worship together. We are supposed to hear the preached word together. We are supposed to sing praises to God together. We are supposed to come together and pray. No doubt about it. Is that all? Absolutely not. Discipleship is a commitment to invest in the lives of each other. That's the only way we can teach each other to obey all that God has commanded us. So discipleship includes both evangelism and discipleship includes teaching but it's teaching that's leading to an ongoing conformity to Jesus Christ or an ongoing conformance to Jesus Christ. So lastly, that's the command. Let's talk about the hope. Last verse, he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The promise that we have, the promise that we have as we go as we go and we disciple the nations, as we go and we disciple the block, as we go and we disciple family, as we go and we spend life on life with our sisters, sisters spending time with sisters, brothers spending time with brothers, the promise that we have is that through every single moment of it, Jesus will be there. The Spirit of Christ will be there. The Spirit of Christ will be there when we stumble through it, right? The Spirit of Christ will be there when we say the wrong thing, right? Anybody ever been there trying to talk to somebody about Jesus? And you're like, man, dude, I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> what, what in the world did I just tell that guy? You know what I mean? He'll be there. The Spirit of Christ will be there when persecution is amped up. He promises to be there. As our brothers and sisters are dying overseas, Coptic Christians just this past week, over uh, close to nearly 30 of them, as they were moving, moving from one place to another, living lives together, discipling and worshiping Jesus, gunned down, vehicle gunned down, all 30 died or were killed. He promises even to be there then. 
And even if we don't get a chance to, even if we don't get a chance to fulfill everything that we hoped and dreamed we would fulfill on this side, he'll be with us, what, on the other. But he promises to always be there. So we can go with no fear, can't we? I can go and share the gospel. I can go and walk with people. I can go and be, a, and be unashamed, right? Stand, stand with my brothers and sisters and or stand with my brothers in a, in, a, in a group of three and say, hey, man, this is what's going on in my life, you know? Or as they share with me and, and, and we just kick it back and forth, we just continue to build one another up and continue to grow more and more into the image and likeness of God. I can do that because I know he's there. He's there with us. Promises to never leave us nor forsake us. But because he's there with us and he, he will always be, with, be there with us, I can also be not just simply go with no fear, but I can go fully invested, man. I can, put it, I can go and put it all on the line. Why? Because he's there. I can put it all on the line because he's there. I want to conclude by asking you a question. Let's just say, think, let's do this. Take three seconds. Think about the most respected man or woman or the person in life that you most respect. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even talking about family. I'm talking about like, like, is there like a Queen Elizabeth that you respect or, you know, some kind of person that's just out there that you, that, you, that you would really love to have a chance to be around and really love to have a chance to work with. But you know it's probably never going to happen, right? Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, I don't know. I mean, he came to Vicksburg, so maybe there's a chance. Maybe there's a chance. But think about that person. Think about that person right now, right? Think about that person. And let me ask you a question. So um, let's, let's say that the person sitting next to you um, Right? Let's say they asked you, hey, I got, a, I got a project I need you to work on. Probably going to take, you know, a couple of months. Um, I'll give you, you know, I'll, I'll give you food and, and a place to stay. You know, I'll make sure that you're not homeless. But I'm probably not going to pay you anything beyond that, right? Okay, would you, would you take that gig? Maybe some of y'all, Matt's sitting next to Heather, so I think, I think he'd have to say yes. He's sitting next to his wife. I think Pastor Ivy's sitting next to his wife, too, so he would have to say yes. But, but, but maybe, maybe if you're sitting, to somebody, sitting next to somebody else, maybe you're saying, well, man, I don't know about that. All right, well, well let's, let's change it and let's go a step higher, right? And let's say the governor asked you to do it. Governor of Mississippi said, hey, this is big time, right? This is going to do something great for the state of Mississippi. Eh, you know, maybe. Sounds pretty, sounds pretty alluring at this point. Let's take it up a notch. Let's, let's say, you know, President of the United States. I don't know. Pick your president. I know some of y'all got different opinions of one president or the other. Some of y'all got, some of y'all got opinions of this president. Some of y'all got opinions of the last president. Pick whichever one you like. Whichever one you like, pick that one, right? And, he, and, say, and say that guy, the guy that you like, says, hey, why don't you come, why don't you Come and work for me. I got some things to do in this country. Why don't you come and work for me? You say, man, that's a pretty big honor. What about the person that you were just thinking about, the most respected person that you can think of? If they said, hey, why don't you come and work with me for a little while? Would you do it? Chances are most of you guys would say, yeah, absolutely. If I had a chance to work with that person, I would work with that person for free any day of the week. 
And the interesting, the interesting thing about that is that you wouldn't see it as obligation. You wouldn't see it as duty, would you? You just work. What do you need? What, what, what do you need? Coffee? I got you. Cheeseburger? Lettuce? Pickles? Onions? I got you. So, so let's back back and let's ask a question. Why do we see this as duty and obligation to, to live on mission for the Lord? The king of the universe, the owner of all things, creator of all things, your savior, your redeemer, the one who snatched you out of darkness, who snatched you literally away from the pits of hell, literally. He says, I got an assignment for you. Why is the response, oh, Jesus, I don't really like to talk. You mean I got to talk to somebody? I think sometimes we struggle with respect and honor and seeing him for who he really is, right? And so because we, we don't see him as he is, then the, then the commission that he's given us becomes duty and obligation rather than delight and opportunity. So I want to challenge you, right, to see him as he is. I want to challenge you to go to the, go to the throne of grace daily and ask the Lord, show me who you are. Show, let me see you for who you really are. I want to challenge you to wake up, wake up a couple of mornings this week, right, and preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself what Jesus did for you. Remind yourself what you've been rescued from. Remind yourself what you've been saved from. Remind yourself of the person that you were before he came into your life and the person that he's brought you to be. Remind yourself of that. Remind yourself of the place that you're going when all of this is said and done. A place that even your best days on earth can't compare to. Remind yourself of that. So that when you read Matthew 28, it doesn't seem so burdensome to you. It becomes pleasure to do it. It becomes a delight to go and disciple the nations. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory and honor. We ask that you would help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. See you for who you really are. See the goodness of your work in us. See the magnificent pictures of eternity that await us. And let that fuel us, let that energize us, let that drive us to go and to, to go into tell, to go into disciple all nations, all people, 
We give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.